God destroys the world in one fell swoop, and Paul destroys socialism in one fell swoop. All this and more in 2 Thessalonians. Welcome to Daily Gospel, equipping you to know God through His Word and His Son, Jesus Christ. My name is Keith, and this is Brandon, and we are pastors here in Santa Cruz, California at Gospel Community Church. Welcome, like, subscribe, comments, and thanks for joining us today, and we are talking about the second letter to the church in Thessalonica. Yes, this is Paul's second letter to the Thessalonian church. Yes. So that's why it got the name, creative name. Yes. Second Thessalonians. Yep. Yep. Written by Paul, of course. Or two Thessalonians if you're British. Two or Trump. You ever heard like a British person? Well, also Trump. Yeah. He was, he was probably British. Yeah. Uh, you ever heard a, a British person though preach or like a Scottish person? They'll be like two Corinthians. Ah, uh, yes. I think I've noticed that. Does St. Clair Ferguson do that? Mm, I think so, yeah. Yeah, probably. All those guys are so confused. Yeah, they are confused, man. Yeah. It's great. It's so be, bad for him. Great to be an American. Uh, it's so much better than yeah. whatever they are. Um, <laughs> so this was written right after First Thessalonians. Wow, really? I know. I know. There wasn't a huge gap here. Crazy. And the themes are very similar. So it's 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 part two in a lot of ways, right? The themes are similar. So he's, he's still encouraging them, still thankful for mm-hmm. them, all these things. But he's going to give a little more clarification about the day of the Lord. Yeah. This event. And again, day of the Lord... I didn't really spend time explaining it in First Thessalonians, so I apologize sure. for that. What's the day but of the it's Lord? referred to as a day of Christ. It has a lot of names, but essentially it refers to the 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 end events. Um, so it primarily has a judgment orientation. The wrath of God is coming. Yes. yes. Um, so ju- uh, judgment, though, is not a bad thing. You know, I, I'm like I hesitate to say that because someone's going to interpret that wrongly, but. I, I think we have to understand as, as Christians that the, the perspective of Scripture on final judgment is that it's a good thing. Justice is certain. Yeah, right. we, we often want to kind of like avoid that or it's too harsh or whatever, and I totally understand that instinct. Mm-hmm. But judgment is vindication. Judgment is defeat of enemies, those who would destroy God's people. It is protection of what is most precious to God. It's... It's a it's an important thing, and it's something that we should be we should learn about with joy, because it shows to us that there's going to be final deliverance from the evils of this world. Yeah, exactly. That's the word that came to mind was the defeat of evil is what happens when God triumphs in final judgment. Yeah, and that's a good thing. And I think also I would speak a little bit to the idea of hope. So first and second Thessalonians are very focused on hope, mm-hmm. eternal hope, and that you know that idea is prominent. Hope in Scripture is not what hope is in American culture, mm-hmm. right? Hope in American culture is, man, I hope I can have ice cream tonight. Like I hope Laura went mm, to the store and bought me ice cream. Mm. You know, like it's like wishful thinking. Yeah, it's just kind of pie in the sky. The word hope in Scripture does not speak of that kind of thinking. It mm-hmm. speaks to rock solid certainty in what's to come. Yes, and so that's so important to distinguish. Hope is a confidence. Mm-hmm. of what's to come, that there's going to be deliverance for you. Mm-hmm. And so hope is one of those virtues that is so important and so powerful, and it's a focus on the end of all things. And I just think as Christians, we don't spend enough time thinking about the end. Yeah. You know, I mean, for us, we've been in Genesis for like the last 5,000 years in our church, a uh, year and a half. Um, but there's not a ton of focus on heaven, right? Mm-hmm. Like heaven isn't really explicitly talked about and in the sense of like the eternal reality of heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, I'm trying to preach from that text, but 
we're going to be following it up with First Corinthians. Yeah. Um, so that will that's going to more heavily focus yeah, on resurrection, the end, and yeah. the resurrection. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think we have to really be constantly going back to that reality of that this life is temporary. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And I think it's a you know we're winning a little bit. That's a great reminder of what hope is. It's something that's tangible. It's rock solid assurance and confidence in what God has promised. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a good reminder of what hope is. Because I think you're right. I think we do culturally forget what real hope is, biblical hope is. No. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> so let's not forget that. Um, outline of the book. Chapter one is about enduring persecution. So he's going to encourage them with, you know, that persecution is normal. Kind of give them encouragement with in light of eternity. Chapter two is about expecting the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then chapter three is exhortations. Yeah, much much shorter book, right? Yeah. So, it's, it's a very brief Letter. book. Very brief book. So um, let's get into it then. Awesome. Chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians. Yeah, so Paul opens up with some of that end times language, that eschatological. Mm-hmm. Again, eschatological. eschatological. <laughs> Not scatological. <laughs> Not scatological. <laughs> For, uh, scat, you know, like bear scat. I think you can put it together from there or something like that. So <laughs> Yeah, everyone knows bear scat. Yeah. Everyone well, knows. I guess not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> In my extensive time around bears. Well, we did go to Alaska one summer. Okay, yes. You and I did. You and I did. (laughs) And some other people in this room. Did we see a bear? Uh, I did not see a bear. Apparently, people saw bears. I was pretty let down by that. We came late, though. We saw a moose, though. We did see see a couple moose. Meese? Meese, yeah. Moosin. Moosin. Um, So anyway, um, back to the eschatological (laughs) language. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) So he, he talks about how you are you are bound for God's judgment. God's judgment is coming on this world, right? So verse 5, this is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So judgment is coming, that's inevitable, but you can have confidence. Um, He says, those who afflict you in this judgment will receive condemnation, right? Verse 6, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. Mm Mm-hmm. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Yeah, justice. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. I love it. It's a very powerful picture. And again, I think in our culture, we just tend to shy away from this. Oh, you know, let's just focus on God being nice and compassionate and kind. And God is kind. He is compassionate. But this kind of strength and judgment is filled with hope. Right when we look at we see school shootings or we see different kinds of injustice or wars, we know that there's there has to be a judgment that comes upon those who do evil, right? Yeah, and prey uh, on others. Yeah, and like yeah, yeah, Christian, we really do need to change our minds about thinking negatively about the wrath of God. That's a huge problem in our yeah. Christian culture. So, yeah, so let's avoid it at all costs. Never talk yeah, about it. That's absolutely unhopeful. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Verse nine is interesting. He says. Speaking of those who will um, be damned, he says they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So some people here would, would try to argue for what's called annihilationism. <laughs> oh, don't even get me started on that. <laughs> so eternal destruction is, is the phrase there. And so they'll say destruction means like ceasing to exist and yeah. eternal means you cease to exist forever. So the whole idea is Hell is not this eternal torment, eternal conscious torment. It's you go there, you're burned up, you cease to exist. Mm-hmm. So, um, or they use the idea of the second death, 
mm-hmm. right? That you die, at, you're resurrected, and then you're consigned to judgment and you die. Um, so I think the, those ideas are to speak to um, not that destruction is necessarily a once and for all act, but that eternal means it's an ongoing thing. And what we see in other passages in Scripture is that there is a continued, never-ending torment that happens. Yeah. And this is a logical thing in terms of the wrath of God. This is a logical and expected reality that our torment would be forever for a couple of reasons, right? One is when you're judged, you're paying the penalty for your sins. I, I don't see that you necessarily stop sinning at that moment. Mm. I don't know that you're going to turn around and thank God. So you will continually pile, be piling up condemnation for yourself, potentially. No. But also, I think even more importantly, the the magnitude of the person that you sin against determines the heinousness of the crime. Yes. So I saw a spider the other day. I smashed it. Mm-hmm. No cops came to get me. Right. Uh, now, if I smashed a cat, people might be outraged. I don't know if that's illegal. I'm not going to do it. But I don't know if that's illegal or not. California definitely. Dog, no. yeah, for sure, it's yeah. that's illegal. But then if you smash a child, right, right, then you're now going to have capital punishment or life in prison, right. right? So wait, what's the difference, right? Same action. Well, because there's a difference in value right. of the being that you're attacking. Right, so you do it to God. Yeah. So if you do it to an infinite being of infinite worth, that's an infinite crime. Right. It doesn't yeah. matter what what it is that you do. If you're sinning against a holy God, Mm-hmm. It's a, it's beyond comparison. There's yeah. nothing that you can you can compare to it. So, and, and you might be hearing that the, the very nature of like disagreeing with that is like just evidence of sin, and um, we don't want to admit that we are uh, that that's the just punishment that's due to us. But in the same breath, if you don't realize that, it takes away even uh, a greater degree of the love that is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, if you understand that, that that's the consequence of sin. Yeah. then you understand the greatness of the gift of Jesus Christ even more. Yeah, so, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And people often will say, you know, why was eating a fruit in the garden? Why did yeah. it lead to all these things? Again, it's not because of the action itself, but because of who it's against, rebelling <clears throat> against God. Right, yeah. Exactly. That's what makes it so heinous. Yeah. So uh, verse 10, right, kind of speaks to the ultimate purpose here of judgment. He says, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed... So the end goal of all this judgment is that God will be glorified Mm -hmm. by those who believe in him. So how should we live? Verse 11, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that's that's how we should live now because of this reality, that we should be um, walking worthy and fulfilling what God has called us to do. Mm Mm-hmm. So chapter one, good intro here. Um, chapter two gets into more of the day of the Lord kind of uh, issues. Yeah, okay, a little, so a little more cumbersome. Yeah, yeah, so verses one and two, he he again is confronting this idea that the day of the Lord has already come. So in First Thessalonians, it was more focused on those who were dead in Christ, those who are believers who have died, that there's guarantee of their resurrection with Christ, yep. that they'll precede us, all that sort of stuff. Here he's focusing on the day of the Lord. And if it's already come. And so he gives them to some degree an order of events here to kind of understand how this is going to unfold when Christ returns in his judgment. So he says, verse 3, Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, 
who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Mm -hmm. Wow, so tons of questions here about who is this man of lawlessness. Very often he's identified with the term antichrist. Mm -hmm. Now again, that's a term used in 1 John. And John, first John, he's talking about how there's been many antichrists. Right. So the word itself is maybe not the most helpful word because it refers to many people who have opposed God and who have probably from you know positions of authority have sought to tear down um, God's work. So, but in terms of just a general understanding of this figure, also the figure in Daniel that seems to be kind of in line with the same idea here. There seems to be connection. And it seems to be one figure who's going to set himself up in some sort of way to be worshipped, to be to consolidate power in himself. It says he's going to reveal himself in the temple. What you believe about the end times will determine a lot of what that means, because yeah. we know there is no temple. Right. So, what does that mean? Is it a figurative thing? He's talking about the temple of God, which is the church. It's going to come someone into the church who's going to tear it down. Um, is he speaking in a different metaphor or is there going to be a rebuilding of the temple in the last days? Um, this, that's a huge conversation. But I think the general idea we can see here is there's going to be an increase in wickedness and the coming of a specific figure who will try to uh, dominate the world and, right. and be seen as God. Right. So this is, this is helpful for us to understand um, the timing of, of the end. Mm -hmm. So again, we need to be living as if it's imminent because in, in a real sense it is, but also there's going to be things that will occur with that end mm -hmm. so that we can see those signs. Right. So he's saying, don't freak out, don't, don't worry. You're going to see these things first. So then he talks about this restrainer. It's kind of weird, but verse 6, and you know that what is restraining him now so that he may re be revealed in his time, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way, and then the lawless one will be revealed. So it's kind of difficult here as well. Who is the one restraining that wickedness? Yeah. So this is already somewhat at work, and there's going to be there's someone restraining that. Some people think it's government. Some people think the Holy Spirit. Really, there's like as many ideas as there are people who have ideas is what it seems like. Right. But something, we don't know what, is going to restrain that until that lawlessness is fully revealed. Hmm. And then verse 8, super encouraging. Um, and then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So when that evil comes, when there is this, uh, whether it's a domineering government or false prophets within the church, whatever it might be, we can have confidence that Jesus Christ is going to bring judgment and yeah. destroy them. And that Jesus has bad breath. <laughs> wow. Wow. I just, I never even thought of that. That's great. That's great. Forgive me, Lord. Props, props for that. <laughs> he has, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so it's going to be associated with signs and wonders as well. Verse 9. So, yeah, so we'll see this kind of stuff at the very end. But then he gives... More encouragement. I mean, that was encouraging in and of itself, right. right? That this is going to happen, that we can watch for these things, that we can also have confidence in God, that he will overcome that, mm -hmm. and he will rescue us from that. But then uh, verse 13, I think, is a real up note. He says, but we ought to give thanks. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, 
because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So again, it's kind of unusual in the middle of his letter yeah. to have a thank exactly. you section. Yeah. But I think he's he's um, you know in light of that what might seem negative to come back and to say look at how you're living, look at how you're standing firm, mm -hmm. that you're going to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus, verse 14, and that you need to stand firm, verse 15. All right, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us. Mm -hmm. So hold fast for us, that would be application of the word, or having God's word, standing firm in it, and um, seeking truth and hope from God's word. As he, as he ends the letter in chapter three, he asks for prayer. He asks for prayer from them. And uh, verse 3 is, is a good one. But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Mm -hmm. So and in verse 4, we have confidence in the Lord that, that about you, that you are doing and will do the things that we command. So God's going to rescue you, even in light of all of these things that will be difficult in the end. God's going to strengthen and protect you. Yeah. Um, I was thinking, too, back in verse uh, 15 of chapter 2, um, you know, he closes that section so then brothers stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. Like Paul is clearly like putting a confidence of the truth of God's like word, like in the stuff that um, he's writing to the yeah. early churches. And they just so cool, like a confirmation of the canon of scripture and of the reliability of the truth that Paul is talking to here and the mystery of how God is, is writing through Paul and Paul is writing it to the church. Yeah. And I just really encouraging and cool to see that in the history and the building of the early church, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to go through, um, first and second Thessalonians and just note all the references to God's word, mm -hmm. you know, and obviously we saw it in first Thessalonians, this, this focus on that his job is to release God's word, mm -hmm. that, um, God's word is not man's word, right? It's God's word. And then even here where God is, is <coughs> destroying evil, by the breath of his mouth, kind of carries that same connotation yeah. of God speaking. Well, Genesis stuff too, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's the idea of God's yeah, words have affecting power, yeah. So, yeah. yeah, Paul throughout all of his writings, but definitely these in a special way, sees the word of God as being what sustains you, what protects you mm -hmm. yeah, till, till the last day. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And, the, yeah, connecting it back to um, end time stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And then he destroys socialism at the end. Ah, uh, yes. Which is always fun, fun, That's fun right. stuff. Um, let me see here. Verse 6, Now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. So idleness, don't be lazy yep. is the idea, right? So don't, don't just sit around. Don't um, be consumed with worthless things, but actually have a pursuit that is helpful. Yeah. And Paul points to himself, verse 7, you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you, nor do we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Yeah. So Paul's like, look at us, look at how we lived our lives. We weren't lazy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny, I, I would say people in ministry are like either the hardest working people or the laziest people. You know, like I've known like missionaries few. and stuff yeah. where it's like, does he do anything? I actually had a, fr a, fr a friend who was, I went to school with and 
they were related to a missionary and I was like, man, you know, mission, missionary, that's awesome. And he's like, yeah, that person doesn't do any work. <laughs> she just like said it. I'm like, whoa, maybe you shouldn't say that. Uh, but <laughs> it seemed to be true, right? Yeah. <laughs> the more I thought about it, the more I looked at it, I'm like, wow, that's that's crazy. But it's definitely possible to be lazy. Paul wasn't lazy. Paul was working really hard and he's saying, look, you should be living how we are living, that we've given as much as we can to you. Yeah. And verse nine, it's not because we don't have the right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. Yeah. No, it's so great. A reminder that work is a good thing, obviously, like um, divinely created before the fall. So it's a good thing. And yeah. our culture just runs from work, right? Our goal in life is to get away from work in our culture, right? Piper's big thing, like collecting seashells. You're going to be before the throne of God and God, look at my seashells from retirement. No, you yeah. know, like we, we should work. And like, that's not just a laborious thing, even though it is because we're in a cursed fallen world. Like it's hard to work, but it is a good thing to work and it's good for culture. It's good society. It's good for your spiritual growth to work hard. So, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's a good thing. Verse 10, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. So don't give homeless people money. <laughs> Right? <laughs> is, that the, is that what I just heard right there? Well, if they, well, it depends, right? You know, obviously homeless aren't a monolith. But if someone is just like, oh, I'd rather just travel and smoke weed and whatever, so give me money. No, you should, you should not give that person money. Like right. you should actively not give that person money right. because you're helping them in their self-destruction. Right. So no, of course. But yeah, if someone who doesn't have a safety net around them, doesn't have relatives, uh, is in need, whatever life circumstances have hit them, or they like want to repent, they want to do the right thing, and they just need help. Yeah, of course, of course. Like it's a good thing to help people. Yeah. But the general, the general posture of if you're not even, I love this. If you're not willing to work, right. let him not eat. So he's not necessarily saying the crippled person in the wheelchair. I shouldn't say crippled. That's not that's not okay anymore. The handy capable person, right? Um, that they, you know, well, hey, you're not doing manual labor, so you can't eat. Yeah. It's a disposition of, I want to contribute, I want to give what I can, and so I'm going to find a way to contribute. Yeah, and, and work it comes in all forms and shapes and sizes, but yeah, that willingness, that indulging, indulging like indulging in idleness is something that he's steering away from the people of God. Yeah. Yeah. Even if, even if Jesus is coming back now, keep working hard. Keep working hard. Yeah. Keep working hard. And this is a theme in the first letter too, right? So, um, and again, verse 12, or, sorry, verse 11 and 12. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Mm, yeah. So that's like first Thessalonians yeah, too. Exactly. Same kind of stuff. Yeah, so socialism, not good, right? Socialism, not good, right? The, any any, any b- belief system or <laughs> political system that would say we should take from those who who have just to give to those who have not regardless of contributions. Well, yeah. we could talk about just theft in general, right? <laughs> Taking it. Yes. But this whole mentality of that, uh, well, we shouldn't really have to work. And yeah. we should just we should vote for Bernie Sanders. And then he'll just like pay off all our student loans and you know, buy us all new cars, whatever, right? It's ridiculous. Very ridiculous. And it always leads to those who are the ones promising deliverance and utopia having tons of power and wealth and everyone else being poor. I, I think it's worth saying that like... But true socialism has never been tried. Oh. It's never been tried. Yes, that's what I've... When I look back on the the sorrow and tragedy of history, that's what I see. Huh? Yeah, we just haven't tried it hard enough. Yeah, yeah, well, I think... 
you know, some people have tried it pretty hard. <laughs> so, I think I think it's worth saying too, with like the hope of like not having to work, like, like or like the dream of like being retired and not having like those the mundane tasks or whatever to do in your life. Like that's just a false hope that you're going to be satisfied when you get to that stage, right? Yeah. So, how many stories do you hear about people in retirement that aren't actually satisfied? That are, you know, but like. That I think Paul's getting to the point too that like work is good in general, but also that like working is 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 part of the human existence, and we should find joy in that, and we should press into that instead of run from it because yeah, you know exactly we're going to be more satisfied in God, and so yeah, God wants us to work. Yeah, it's yeah. not just about yeah like having the stuff you need to live. It's about you know doing something good for other people. Yeah, and and that's obviously like knowledge work, like ministry. That that could be other work like, you know, being a plumber or an electrician. Those are all things that you should find joy in, even though it's hard, like you're contributing to culture, society, and, and what God would have. You think there's going to be plumbers and electricians in the New Jerusalem? I don't know, man. I was thinking about it. Like, Golden toilets, so. Yeah. Plumber. Yeah, it's like, do we, do we, never mind, we're going to go to the subject of scatology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, oh, no. Verse 16, he yeah. ends with, with his benediction. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. And then he talks about how he's writing this letter in his own hand, right? And he's mentioned in these letters, hey, even if someone sends you a letter from us or seeming to be from us, that the day of the Lord has already come, don't listen to them. So maybe this is his way of saying, hey, this is kind of a mark that you should look out for, that it's actually me writing, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I feel like he, in a different, what's the letter where he talks about how he writes in such big letters? Oh, I don't know. Is that 1 Corinthians? I forget. Yeah. Anyway, so great, great books both first and second Thessalonians about the the uh, day of the Lord mm-hmm. and its application to us. There's so much application how we should live right now. Yeah. Let's get to work. Let's yeah. do good things for others because God's coming soon. Yep. Amen to that. Well, thanks for joining us for Daily Gospel and we'll see you next time.